Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And before we get started, real quick, we just wanted to announce that we are now taking emails from listeners for funny stories that we could incorporate for brain baths. So if you have a funny story, maybe it has something to do with a criminal or just an embarrassing moment, breakup moment, something, and you want it read on air, just email us at crimecurious at yahoo.com. Let us know if we can use your name. Otherwise, we'll give you a kick-ass fake name. Yes, we will. So that's always a possibility. I might actually write in myself, like in disguise, because <laughs> I have several good stories. Okay. <laughs> All right. Today, I get to sit back while you tell me a story. I am going to tell you a little story today. This case is, it's, it's a lot. Oh, first we should... Thank Devin. Yes, thank you, Devin. I was actually, she, I had wrote that did you, in. I couldn't remember if I told you, because I think she emailed me or messaged me directly, and so I couldn't remember if I told you. You did, yes. Okay. Because we were talking about, do we do listeners' picks, and, and right. you told me about this one, so. Perfect. Thank you to Devin. Are you ready? I am so ready. It's been a long time since you've told me a case, and so I'm looking forward to this. It? I was, missing? I'm missing Amber cases. Yeah. Well, it's Let's time. Go. This case takes place in Austin, Texas. Love Texas. 1991. Okay. This case is quite a crazy journey. I'm going to actually start from the beginning and tell you the events that happened. Okay. Um, All right. Tell us the start, crime. Yeah. We're, yep, we're going right. to start with the crime. This Jumping time. right in. All right. It takes place December 6th of 1991. So it's right before, right Christmas. before Christmas. I know. So sad. It was Friday night. Four teenage girls, Amy Ayers, age 13, Eliza Thomas, age 17, Jennifer Harbison, and I hope I'm saying these names right. Sounds good to me. Trying my best. Jennifer Harbison, age 17, and her younger sister, Sarah Harbison, age 15, were at the yogurt shop called I Can't Believe It's Yogurt. Oh. Kind of like a Fabio spinoff. I feel like the, I can't believe it's not butter uh-huh. type thing is what, yes. it, what comes to mind. I can't believe this is yogurt because it's delicious. Right. That's that's what I was okay. kind of thinking. About. I had to read the name a couple times. I'm like, I can't believe it. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, <laughs> I can see you doing that. Yeah. So this was located in the strip mall in northwest Austin. Texas. Okay. So like a very so, public place. Yes. Which is, yes, surprising. Mm. With, with all of this. And these are babies. Little babies, Aww. yes. The one, uh, Amy, she was still in eighth grade. No. So, yeah. Two of the girls were actually working at the shop that night. Jennifer Harbison and Eliza Thomas. They were both on their shift okay, at the yogurt shop. Mm-hmm. Sarah and Amy were waiting to get a ride home with Jennifer after the shop closed at 10 o'clock okay. p.m. So it was a normal Friday night for these teenage girls. It sounds like they were going to have a slumber party. Mm. You know, like doing yes, teenage girl doing stuff. Doing the teenage girl stuff. Paint nails. Yeah. Read Seventeen magazine. Talk pillow about fights. I, I don't know if pillow fights are really a thing. They I didn't for me. do them at, you know, no. it's a stereotype, but 
you write talk us. about the boys, you've talked yeah. about, you know. You write know. us if you ever had a pillow fight at a girl's sleepover because I can tell you I never did. I know. And I certainly wasn't in my underwear because that seems to be a big <laughs> fantasy too. Brawless in underwear just like prancing yeah. around with pillows. Yeah, that didn't happen. But we yeah. did paint the hell out of our nails. Oh, yeah. And talk about boys. Talk about the boys, the, the magazines like you said, music. and Oh, yeah, and recording Rick D's top. 40. Oh, yeah. 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 And it kind of hurts thinking about it because I remember many of these nights as a teenager, like you're waiting for your friends. You're going to go have a Friday night. I mean, there was a normal thing. They were just doing normal stuff. Because I just dated us by bringing up Rick D's, I will point out that in 91, we were in first grade. Thank you. That makes it better. Yes, I was trying. So around 30 minutes or so before closing time, there was... Now, this was a witness recall, so I'm just kind of throwing in that somebody had possibly seen this happen. So there was a man in line at the yogurt shop. He was reported to be rushing the other customers in front of him. Um, Yeah, stupid jerk. (laughs) And even asked one of them if he was a cop. And then, so when he... Um, got in line, he, he asked to use the bathroom. He went to the back of the shop where the bathroom was located, mm-hmm. and he was apparently gone for quite some time. So he's either taken a fat deuce. <laughs> I don't know if he had Mexican before. Right. Um, if he had the yogurt and it didn't agree with him. I'm not <laughs> he's really sure. He's lactose intolerant. <laughs> but he went to the back of the shop for quite a while. Okay. Long enough to be suspicious. Long enough, Yes. And did he ask the person if they were a cop because they had a buzz cut? Did they look? You know, that's a good question. Catfish, or was he just? Or was he paranoid? Exactly. So many questions for, for me as well. So a couple left the yogurt shop around closing time, and they were called seeing two men sitting at one of the tables. They were acting a little suspicious, kind of secretive. So that was another sighting around this time when the okay. when the shop was getting ready to close. Two shady individuals just so, sitting in a yogurt shop. So I couple, don't picture two men sitting sharing a yogurt. I feel like that in itself would be shady. Right. You know what I mean? I mean I don't I don't want to throw shade, but right. Like, men can like yogurt, too, but Absolutely. it's just not something you typically see. No, sitting with their legs crossed, leaning in, eating some yogurt. I don't Sharing know. secrets. Yeah. That that odd. feels different. Unfortunately, these are the only kind of pieces of things that were seen oh. before this incident. There that's, wasn't that's a whole lot. lot, Amber. I know. I know. That's and we'll kind of piece together the aftermath Ooh. too. There's there's more, but that's really the the only things that were seen before You're setting the, the scene. The tone. You're setting the yeah, tone. Some setting. We have a man taking a fat deuce in the bathroom <laughs> and we've got two shady men sitting in a corner sharing secrets quite a picture yes quite a picture isn't it huh (laughs) so around midnight the policeman on duty sergeant john w jones was patrolling the area and he reported a fire so his night had been pretty slow up until sure he's a strip mall yeah and it it sounds like austin like, murder didn't happen around oh, this time. Yeah. Like, it just yeah. wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, his night was slow. Actually, one of the books that, that I researched called Who Killed These Girls by Beverly Lowry. Um, one of the quotes regarding the officer that night was, except for a few weenie calls, the ride had been a bust. <laughs> 
So we had, he had some weenie calls. Meaning small or it involved men's penises? <laughs> you know, the book does not clarify. Mm. But See, they, I have a lot of questions. They were... They were weenie calls. They were weenie calls. Nothing to speak of, I just, really. I had okay. a, a chuckle. Either way. I, I was listening to my Audible, and it, you know, it said <laughs> right. weenie calls, and I'm immature, so. Right, right. Sergeant Jones, he arrives on the scene of the fire, and he is alone on duty that night. So being the first cop on the scene, old school police protocol said that you arrive, it's your case. So, oh, sure. You know, he, right. he was... The initial person to get this this investigation. So I'm just gonna go through what it, what he discovered, what he what he found, because upon arrival they had no idea what what was going on. The the yogurt shop was ablaze. Right. Like why is all this yeah. ice cream ablaze? So, so they ice had, cream. So yeah. yogurt is yogurt's not burning up everywhere. Ice cream. So so he didn't Combustible know yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't know what well, of course. was inside. Yeah. You know, after firefighters dumped Do their thing. Hundreds of gallons of water on this place. Oh, they boy. finally put out the um the fire and You mean after they wash away evidence? We'll get to that. Yeah. We will get to that. So they discover the bodies of four teenage girls. Mm. Amy Ayers, Eliza Thomas, Jennifer Harbison, and her younger sister, Sarah Harbison, were found. Oh, burnt. a family lost both two yeah, daughters. That, that part really, yeah. Not that the other ones are any less of a loss. It's just Both double. of your children. Oh. Yeah. You're wrecking me. It, this It is. It's terrible. So three of them were burnt so badly that they'd actually melted into the crime scene, for ba- lack of better words. Oh. And their body bodies were still smoldering. And they were found. Yeah. Sergeant Jones, upon arrival of the scene, was quoted as saying, I needed help. I'd been a policeman for 20 years and I'd never seen anything like it. Sure. I mean, I you would be so damaged. anyone would need help. I don't care how long you've been on the job. And if something like that does not leave you wrecked, then it's time to retire. For sure. You are desensitized you, you to are the max. too much and... You need a good therapist and a beach. Yes. Oh, yes, a beach and a a Mai Tai. Yes. So the girls were found naked, gagged, with hands bound behind their backs, and each one had been shot in the back of the head. Execution style. Mm. And so authorities also reported at the time they suspected two different guns had been used in the shootings, which strongly suggested that there was possibly two at okay. least two people okay. involved in the crime. Okay, I was going to say, these are four girls. How? Yeah. This can't be a one-man job. Yeah, I think that that was woman. discovered pretty early on that, okay, this was not just one person yeah. at work. So three of the bodies were stacked on top of each other, Eliza, Jennifer, and Sarah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer's body was the most severely damaged. Eliza's hands were tied behind her back with, with a bra, and she had a gag in her mouth. Sarah Harbison's hands had been tied behind her back with her panties, and there was evidence that he had that she had been physically assaulted with an ice cream scoop oh, because God. it was laying between her legs when they oh, found her. Fuckers! Isn't that horrible? Yes, I hate them. Oh my God! What is the reasoning behind the stacking? I, I, right? I, there, you know, I never found a reasoning other than possibly to light the fire. Oh, okay. That's the only sure. sense that I could make of, of that. Okay. Um, it didn't seem to be sexual in nature, although there was sexual assault that happened. Sure. But the stacking, 
I think it was like a random attempt to to start the fire. Okay. I, that's Just throwing bodies on top of yep. each other. Gross. So Amy's body was in another room. So the three were stacked, but hers was in a different and location. Amy was the 17-year-old? Amy was actually the 13-year-old. The 13-year-old. Okay. Yep. So she was separate from the, the group of other girls. Okay. She was found with a ligature around her neck, and the autopsy determined that she had been manually strangled, but not fatally. She was naked with a blouse tied in a knot beneath her body. Amy had actually been shot in the head twice, one time in the top of her head, which did not fully penetrate her skull. And so this wound wasn't fatal. Right. And the second bullet entered her head in the back by her left ear Mm -hmm. and out of and came out of her right um, cheek. And that was the fatal shot. Oh, these poor babies. I know. I know it's terrible. So the yogurt shop manager and the police also discovered that there were $540 missing from the store upon investigation. Marshall Littleton, a special agent with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, reviewed the photo evidence from the crime scene. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Yes. Isn't that an Uh, interesting plethora of things there? Yes. uh, Expert in many things. I guess so. So he analyzed the pictures of the crime scene and the burn patterns, which is interesting because mm-hmm. we just talked about the 1991 that. burn patterns. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had to chuckle that, you know, he's head of the alcohol, tobacco and firearms and he's analyzing, you know, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not discrediting him. A but wide scope of expertise. Yes, he does. Hmm. So his analysis of the burn patterns, he concluded that the damage to the bodies, to the surrounding area, and just the way that the, the fires had been started, that they were, they were started directly on the bodies. Like that was the central starting okay. place of the fire. Okay. Well, the good news is he wasn't, he didn't have to determine whether or not it was arson. Correct. They are. Yeah, it's it's very clear that it was pretty obvious. So the manager of the yogurt shop gave a breakdown of the store's closing routine. He stated that one of the girls on shift, and I shouldn't say girls because it. I mean, this is a general rundown of employee. Yeah, you know, routine. So one of the employees would lock the front door, and they would leave the key in the in the double cylinder deadbolt lock so that it would not be misplaced. Meanwhile, the other person working would take the register till into the back room to the table, count it, and prepare a report that printed out for the end of the night. So the money was then dropped into a safe, which was located in the floor. Oh, yeah. And so after they did that, they would put the food products away in the cooler, do the dishes. This reminds me of Wendy's back in the day. Pretty <laughs> pretty standard okay. routine, except with yogurt. So after the employees were done, they would leave through the front door, relock it, and then slide a key back under the door in an envelope. So it apparently was the only key to the door, which was an interesting procedure. Yeah, every night. Then, and then the owner comes and opens it the next day. With I believe his key. so. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but after the fire, the key was found still in the door. So all right. So they made it that far into the closing process. Yes, they were. I think they were getting, they were getting you know ready yeah, to so close. They put but the they key hadn't. in, but they hadn't put the money in the safe. Correct. So the manager also testified that the back door. Had a deadbolt lock on it, and the key. There was only one key to the store that the manager had, and that door was typically locked all the time. They okay. never had it open for anything. Mm-hmm. So the night of the fire, the door was found open. So someone Whoa. had escaped forced that the way. door. Yeah, somebody had forced the door open 
during this incident. So as I had mentioned before, only bits of information were were gathered from a few witnesses that were present for the, you know, prior, just prior. Yeah, like just before close. So there wasn't a lot of, of word of like, oh, I saw this or I saw that. There mm-hmm. was just a few people um, that had come forward. Yeah, because being in a strip mall, wouldn't there be other places closing down for the night? You would think so. Of course, I don't know how populated it is. Like some of our strip malls today, there's not a lot of stores in them and or they're far apart. The pictures that I saw, it looked like this was a part of like a smaller portion of it. I don't know. You know how some you have like clusters of stores? Yeah. It looked like it was, and they, there were things nearby, but I don't know that it was like a, a huge yeah. area. Like you think of malls with people walking right. through. It wasn't like that. It was like just a series of shops kind of side by side. Well, and maybe it takes them longer. I mean, they have food product to clean up and whatnot. So, you know, if you're sitting next to a Nike store or something like that, they literally it just have to. earlier. And, yeah. Yeah. And they just do their money portion and exit. So, the, you know, the yogurt girls had to take care of the food, clean up. All that. So as you had already kind of suspected, there were a number of concerns beginning of this investigation. The fire was so intense that it destroyed a lot of evidence. That was obviously the intention of the fire. Right. Not only did the fire destroy many things, but when it was put out, evidence and DNA mm-hmm. was washed away as well. Oh, no, but remember the expert in the Willingham case? Fire doesn't destroy evidence. It creates it. Oh, yes. I do. Profound thought on the stand. I do remember now. Mm. Anyway, point proven. It, in fact, does destroy evidence. It does alter evidence. So another thing, it's the early 90s in Austin, Texas, and so the technology just wasn't available. Right. They didn't have a forensic team or any you know forensic experts they just had a fingerprint unit at the time yeah the city's homicide squad was also very small i think one person was was working oh lord the squad that night of the murders i am the squad yeah the squad has arrived right it's me i'm yeah so they didn't have a lot of you know they didn't have a solid team to work with right and i'm guessing there was no fingerprints no i don't i never saw anything about a fingerprint anywhere well it was probably i mean it would have been burnt mm-hmm. or washed away anyway. So despite the shortfalls, though, and the very brief uh, witness testimonies, there were actually a ton of tips coming in. Really? Leads coming in, people calling in tips. There were 342 suspects that had come in, names that had come in, and dozens of, of false confessions, which is crazy to me. What? Yeah, it's, we see this what? with every case. Right, yeah, I but- thought, 342. Wow. So they were overwhelmed. They were oh, feeling definitely. super, and being super. pulled in 340 some different directions. Yes. So the whole town was in a whirlwind because I think I had mentioned Austin didn't see anything like this before. No. And this is for teenage girls. Yes. I think everyone was kind of, some of the videos that I watched, everybody was outraged. Their yeah. classmates, their families, obviously. Yes. This is it, a huge loss for their community. It, it was. It, it really shocked the the whole city. So there were four, I would say, more primary suspects that they did like kind narrow of down. narrow down at okay. the time. They were questioned just about eight days before, or I'm sorry, just about eight days after the murders occurred. Michael Scott, who was just 17 at the time, and his roommate Robert Springsteen were interviewed in connection to the murders. And the day before they were interviewed, two of their friends, Maurice Pierce and Forrest Welburn, had been arrested at the North Cross Mall 
where they were seen carrying a 22 caliber revolver. Really? Mm-hmm. So naturally at the time, all four denied involvement in the murders. Right. And they had so many tips, leads, you know, investigations to do. They didn't have a lot of evidence at the time, so those four were, were let go. Nothing else came of that, you know, of the questioning during yeah. that time. Yeah, can't hold them when you don't have any. Yep, it was like, yeah, we got some, you know, suspicion, but we couldn't find enough, so they, they're released. What are you doing with a twenty two caliber right. gun and they're at young, a mall? Yeah, they're young kids. Yeah, why are you just carrying a, a, a gun mm-hmm. around them? That would be concerning. Why are you packing? So years actually went by with no arrests in this case. You know, like I said, they had a ton of leads, but nothing substantial nothing substantial nothing to really go anywhere didn't realize that it was year I don't know hardly anything about this so about eight years went by after the murders happened the case was passed on to new detectives by this time sure and finally in 1999 four sus- four suspects in their 20s were officially taken into custody Forrest Welburn Michael Scott, Robert Springsteen, and Maurice Pierce. These are the same ones that were questioned about eight uh-huh. years ago. So these four became primary suspects again. Backing up about a year, in 1998, Detective Paul Johnson, who was one of the newer the new detective. detectives okay. on the case, so he organized a task force to reexamine evidence um, in this case. There was a significant lead that had come in about the case back in 1991, and it was called the Pierce Tip. Now, I didn't find details about what the tip specifically was, Okay, but apparently it was a significant tip. And, and I'm, sometimes they don't release those in, that information. Yeah, and, and I'm suspecting it's about Maurice Pierce, who was one of the... Right. The primary. Yeah. So was that why they the four of them were really questioned initially eight days after? was from the Pierce tip, or was this after they had already questioned them? You know, I don't know if that tip led specifically to them being questioned first or not, but this time around, this tip was one that they had said, you know what, we're going to look at this one again. Again. Mm -hmm. So there obviously had to have been enough to to seek them out again. Yes, yep. So Detective Johnson started his contact first with Michael Scott, who replayed a fairly innocent recap of the night um, the murders took place, the events that, you know, that he had. He laid out pretty basic stuff that he did that night. I'm just saying I wouldn't remember anything I, I did I that long ago. I was just going to say that. Other than maybe it should be in their brain because they have already been questioned maybe, about yeah, it. But. Yeah, maybe. He's just like, yeah, I did this, hanging out with friends, no big deal. So Detective Johnson assigned Sergeant Ronald Laura to conduct a follow-up interview after this phone conversation. Michael Scott agreed to meet Ronald for this follow-up interview on September 9th of 1999 to give a statement. Scott entered the police headquarters around 9.10 a.m., and he was guided into a room that had hidden cameras to record the statements that he had made. So the detectives planned to be with Scott maybe an hour or two and just kind of, you know, talk to him, get some information. Not a long day. Right. But as they began talking to Scott, it became clear that things were not going as planned. They started to really get a sense that Scott was being deceiving. Oh, okay. Holding back something. They were getting some vibes. Yeah, they were they were getting some some shady vibes from him. So they decided to push questioning just a little bit more sure. about the things that he that he knew. So throughout the day, several of the detectives took turns questioning Scott. So after a couple good hours of this, Scott ends up giving a full confession to these murders. What? 
Uh-huh. Like I said, they had no idea what direction this was going. I think they were planning for like a basic questioning, you and know. And this wasn't like 13 hours of torturous interviewing. This was like two hours and all of a it sudden. It was like an afternoon. Like, yeah. And he's like, all right, look. Yeah. So he ends up giving a full confession that he, Springsteen, Pierce, and Wellborn had gone to the yogurt shop to commit a robbery. Oh. And they had murdered all four girls and set fire to the shop to cover their tracks. At How eight. does a robbery go to sexual? That is what I can't wrap murder. my brain around. Like, and like, it, it, and I will go through. We're gonna go through his confession here in a minute. Okay, and it and it that goes through my head too. Like, how did it escalate to this? I know y'all can hear my dogs barking upstairs, and we're home alone, so I have no one up there to wrangle them. They are just living their best lives up there. They. They're watching a butterfly fly across the window. I guarantee it. So, sorry. It's just there. I hate it when uh, podcasters just don't acknowledge things. So, here, here's here the is. acknowledgement. Again, we're real life. For the record, they're adorable, so it's they're okay. super cute dogs. So, at 8 p.m. that that day. The same day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Scott actually asks to be taken over to the yogurt shop. I didn't. What? Yeah, I didn't. Get so the it's information st- it's as still to there? why. Okay, it must so have been the scene of it, you know, because yeah, it was burnt down. Yeah, I mean, or did they rebuild it? You know, I don't know. I should have looked into that they because it did. was, like, destroyed completely. Oh, so yeah, I don't know if they like rebuilt it. it. So Scott was questioned by ha- homicide detectives the next several days, and so he was actually driven around again in an attempt to find a bridge that Scott had said the four men, well, they were boys at the time, yeah. They had gone to hide under after the murders. Oh. So apparently they couldn't find the bridge, though, which is odd, you know. Okay. Being that it's it should be a pretty significant thing. And within running distance. So just kind of note that. But they did take him to, apparently took him on several trips to find things. Yeah. But they couldn't find, find that. This bridge that he hid under. Yeah. Just eight years ago. So on September 14th of 1999, Scott submitted an eight-page written confession statement of what took place the night of the murders. That statement was submitted into evidence. These are some of the details that he put into into his confession. Okay. He stated that Scott, Springsteen, Pierce, and Wellborn, Pierce and Wellborn were all hanging around the food court at the mall, just like teenagers mm-hmm. do. And Pierce had started talking about needing money and that he was super broke. And so this was December 6th. 6th. God, I can't talk. <laughs> so this was the day of December 6th, the, the day the murders took place. Pierce suggested that they commit a robbery because, I mean, what better thing to do when you're broke than right, just rob to someone? steal the money that doesn't belong to you. Let's not earn it. Let's just go ahead yeah, and take like, I'm it. I'm broke. Let's rob a place. It must be he was still packing one of these boys. One of those not, bad boys. Yeah. If not. So apparently everybody was like, okay, that seems reasonable. I mean, Let's to get one do person it. to go on board with that is hard. But Let then alone to the get whole group. Three. So it sounds like everybody was like in agreement that they would go rob a place. Yeah, this sounds like a good idea because our friend is broke. I'll help you commit a robbery. Yeah. Because you're broke. I mean, we want to be supportive, so why not? Yeah. They started driving around to scope places out, and they decide that the yogurt shop was going to be the place of interest. Do they know how much yogurt costs? Thank you. I'm glad we're on the same page because as I'm reading that, I'm like, of all the places that you're going to rob in a mall, 
a yogurt shop. The yogurt shop is where you go because you think, damn, they've got lots of they, cash they've on hand. Got to be packing the money. Yeah, the whole you thing. You couldn't is tell just me there wasn't bad. a jewelry store in there. A Nike store. I mean, come Anything on. Anything other than yogurt, really? Right. Wow. Not but hating on yogurt, but I'm just saying. I don't know if it was the location. I don't know if it was the hours. Perhaps. Yeah. I don't know if it's. They assumed it would be one person closing up shop. Right. But they decided that I can't believe. It's yogurt. Right. Was the one. Right. Pierce went in and he apparently is the one that placed an order at the front counter mm-hmm. while Scott and Springsteen went around into the back. Now, apparently they're the two that said they had to use the bathroom per Scott when he confessed. You know, and the witness had said somebody had went to the, the bathroom. Okay, so, so apparently it somewhere. was two people that went to the bathroom, yeah, not one. Yeah, so mm-hmm. a little bit of conflicting info, sure. but... You know, somebody went around the back. And so this is when they opened the back door. I'm assuming they kicked it in or, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe not kicking it in because that would have been loud. But somehow they forced the door open mm-hmm. when they were back there. So they left it propped open. I see. Yep. And then they came back out and exited the shop. So, so maybe there really was a single guy just taking a dump in it there. It could have been. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> You know what? Maybe that was just a poor dude that had to use the right. shitter. And what if he's listening and he's being totally like called out me. right now? Right. <laughs> like, I just had an upset stomach that day. Maybe the witness actually did see someone that really had to use the bathroom and the other two just kind of snuck back yeah. there, too. Yeah. I hope everything came out okay for that fella. <laughs> me, too. They, they left the door propped open slightly. They exit. And so after the, the stakeout that they did, they returned to... Um, the vehicle or they they exit the shop and they wait until closing time so, so no mention of the two creepy guys in the corner talking no no I not wondered. from not from scott okay and his confession and i don't know if at that time they were sitting out there waiting yeah you know and they probably weren't like well a witness saw two men was that you you know what i mean they're just not necessarily telling right whoever's confessing the information that they already had from I, witnesses yep. i had put that in my notes too that you know i didn't know while they were waiting if they kind of hung around in the shop Just for a while scoping it out for a minute mm-hmm. that would make sense too so yeah maybe they did love them some yogurt so they had some and they were like you know all right we'll go wait yeah go around the back after closing you know approaches they used the back door that they had propped open to come to get in. in. Okay, so inside. that's how they gained entry. Yep, yep. So the place had closed. The door was locked. As we know that they, they had gotten to that yeah. point where they locked the front door. The men entered the back. Pierce was carrying a twenty two caliber revolver, and, Springs, and Springsteen had a semi-automatic pistol. Mm. Wellborn apparently remained in the car as a lookout, and he did not come in at all mm. during this time. So they were surprised to see that four girls were actually inside the shop. Right. Yeah. Like, I can't believe there's four girls and I can't believe it's yogurt. Yes. Um, I think they were probably waiting for maybe one person to be there. So it would be an easy robbery. That's my assumption. Right. I would um, imagine because the lookout dude's just like, yeah, I'm chilling in this car. because He's going to go get some money. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Easy, easy robbery in and out. And then I think later that's he's what like, I can't believe you killed four people. Right. Right. What the so fuck? I think they were all surprised, obviously, by, oh, wow, there's four of them in here. I see. So then that's three extra witnesses that they weren't planning yeah. for. That is my thought exactly. We're so so very much on the same page. That was my thought of, wow, we can't just get in and out of here because there's, there's actually four people mm-hmm. that now know mm-hmm. who we are. What we look like and 
Because they didn't make any attempt at disguising themselves. No, not that, that I could mentioned. see. Mm-hmm. Not that I could see. So Scott recalled Pierce demanding to know where the money was. And one of the girls stated that it was too late. The money had already been dropped. So it was okay. in the safe. Now, I don't know if once it was in there, they couldn't get it. Yeah, usually that's how that works. Okay. Yep. Yep. I wasn't familiar with, with the safe in the floor procedure. Yeah. But it sounds like they couldn't. Nope. Couldn't give them the money at that point. And then Scott yep. recalls hearing Pierce slap one of the girls. Okay. It sounds like Pierce was with, you know, with the girls and they maybe went to scope out the rest of the area. At this point, Springsteen calls Scott in to help take the girls' clothing off. Scott confesses to tying the girls' hands with their clothing as they were reported to be found. Because now we've decided that we're just going to sexually assault them? Yeah, this is where it's like, how did this get to this level? Right. How did the situation get to this level? Yeah, I mean, without any sort of pre-planning, you're just going to now sexually assault? Yeah. That's that's the part where it's like you were taken back, but this did it. I mean, why did it have to go yeah. this far? Scott recalls the girls crying and be- and begging not to be killed. Pierce was shouting at one of the girls, demanding to know where the fuck the money is, and then he heard a loud gunshot. Scott went to see what had happened and found one of the girls dead. Oh, so, so the other three witnessed oh, right that happening. That was, oh gosh, Springsteen had proceeded to start raping one of the girls. And encouraged Scott to do the same. Ugh. Scott, in his statement, said that he tried to, but he knew that it was wrong. And he actually, he recalled, like, looking at the girl, like, looking her in the eyes. And then he had to, like, he had to look away because he knew it was wrong what he was doing and he didn't want to see her. Do you believe that? I don't know. Or do you believe that he went through Because this that? whole thing just turns, <laughs> it just turns. So I really don't know. What I believe in this case. I believe that he fully did it and he just wanted to make himself sound like he was slightly better than the other Poss- monsters. Possibly. Because in my mind right now, the only actual innocent person is that poor fucker that's in the, the car, getaway car. Having no idea what's going thinking on. Thinking that they're just being robbed. If that truly was the intention right. of we're just going to rob this place and you're going to drive us away. Wow. So Scott had also said that he couldn't fully perform the rape because of his guilt. So he just kind of faked it because he couldn't actually get a full erection to perform the rape. Sure. So he just faked it with a limp noodle. Yes, he did. Okay. No, I full. I, sorry. Now you've went into so much detail with it that I think he's making it up. That's a good point. Lots of, lots of specific details. Yep. So Pierce then handed Scott the revolver and told him to finish her and Springsteen told him to do it or he would be next. And Scott made it apparent that he was afraid of Springsteen and Pierce, so mm-hmm. he did what they said to do. But not so scared to come and confess eight years later. Correct. So he believed them when they said he would be next, and so he pointed mm-hmm. the gun and pulled the trigger. Yeah, I think that's just him trying to, once again, get himself the victim. off. Mm-hmm. This is now a more of a second-degree murder charge instead of first-degree because it was under coercion. You could be right. You could be right. Because he's had eight years to... Research the law. Yeah, yeah. So Pierce had moved to the other room where the safe was located, and he told Scott as he entered, you're already in this neck deep. And then Springsteen and then Springsteen told Scott, don't be a puss, and pressured or encouraged Scott to shoot the fourth girl, which he did in the back of the head. So he actually shot two of the girls. Yes, he did. And then the other two only shot one. Correct. Hmm. According to his confession. Right, according to him. Now, a little addition to that. Scott was 
was able to identify one of the girls as Amy Ayers, the one that he shot in the head that was still alive. Okay. So Springsteen is the one that actually mm. shot her again. The second time. Okay. Fatally killing her. Springsteen told Scott to then burn the place down. So Scott gathered cups and napkins and... Oh, they're barking various... a lot of orders and making him do all yeah, the horrible stuff. Yeah, he's the stuff. guinea pig for all of this. Mm. So he collected Convenient. all this stuff to set, basically, you know, to use to start a fire and, and put that on top of the girls. Mm-hmm. Doused it with lighter fluid and... I think you're right. The stacking of their bodies was 100% just like, here, you stack wood to make a fire. I really do think that's yeah. what it was. Okay. Why they didn't, why they left Amy separate, I'm not really right. sure. Right. Other but than that's just the only thing I could make not sense Not wanting of. to carry her. Yeah, a maybe like, person, oh, I can't I do anymore. We have to get out of here. Right. Because from what Scott says, this was all about a total of like 20 minutes that they were in Holy there. Holy shit. And it seems like an eternity when going through all this so maybe that's not accurate right that's what it had said 20 minutes i was like wow that wow. Uh, that's a lot for 20 minutes so it must have happened super quick everything hmm. so scott said after they set the place on fire they got out of there and they stopped at the bridge where scott then vomited from everything that had happened sure sure because he was just so worked up so he upset was forced to do he, all those things yes. and had all the guilt because he's a slightly better individual than the rest of right. them right no 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 so that weekend after the murders that happened the four of them were traveling to visit a girl that scott was seeing how nice right god and they were in a vehicle that pierce had stolen and Scott remembers when they stopped somewhere seeing the, a newspaper article about the murders that had happened and the fire. I'll point out, too, he didn't feel so guilty that eight days later when he was questioned that he wanted to indicate anything had happened. You are correct. By the way. You are correct. He didn't even vomit. They were fucking high-fiving. I it, hate them all. It really all. does make you want. I know they're just, it's horrible. It's horrible that it escalated to this point. Yeah, because it could have just been a robbery. It could, yeah. I mean, take the five forty, right? Because that's what they took five hundred forty dollars. Yeah, that's what was missing, and get out of there. Get the hell out of there. And was it worth killing them all when they no, couldn't get, give you the it, money? It, but that's just it. I just don't know that it was all about the money. Like they had been scoping that place out. They saw the two workers. I they felt some sort of way about them. I think the intention was to rape, to steal and rape. And you could be right because it it took such a horrific turn it's hard to believe that that wasn't an intention that it right. just on a whim they're like oh we'll just rape them too yes i can't yeah i can't believe that yeah springsteen was also questioned about the murders following scott's detailed confession, confession? Mm-hmm. he was interrogated for five hours total and he too confessed to partaking in the murders okay that night he had originally started his interview saying he had no idea what they were talking of about course, he had no course. part of yes, it what? But this is bananas. What are you talking right. about? So after a couple hours, mm-hmm. you know, as Scott's had went, he ends up confessing to the murders. And his videotape interview was submitted as evidence as well. So he admitted it. Admitted it. <laughs> so he admitted to opening the door of the yogurt shop in the back. And he admitted to using the thirty-eight revolver to shoot the girls in the back of the head. He also admitted to raping one of the girls. Mm-hmm. Forrest Welburn, who was 
the driver. He right? was the driver, mm-hmm. the ghetto, the watch. He was never indicted and eventually set free because there just was not enough to connect him to any sure. of the crimes. Sure. Um, I don't know if Either I'd mentioned- way, even if he knew that they wanted to go in there and rape and rob, he didn't go. He didn't go. And do it. Not that I'm saying being the getaway driver for those things are okay, but it definitely sets you up differently criminally. For sure. From in a, the eyes of the law. Maybe that was his mindset, but- w- I don't know if I mentioned this, but when they left to to get away, Welburn was actually not in the car. He was, like, in another parking lot somewhere. So he may have just, like, realized he didn't want a part of it. I don't want to speak for him. I don't know the intention, but he wasn't even there when they tried to get away. They found him, like, somewhere else. So so he really, essentially, other than just being with them that night, had nothing to do that they could find with this crime. Or that anybody had said. I mean, I'm sure that according Scott to this and, story, that's yeah, you know, and they couldn't find anything else. Okay, on him. So the fourth suspect, Maurice Pierce, mm-hmm. he was jailed for three years before this case was dropped against him, and he was let go. What? Yep. What? So <laughs> the mastermind behind it, according to the other two. Yep. However, I will tell you. A little little tidbit of information on Mr. Pierce. He actually ended up getting killed in a police shootout in 2012 after he had stabbed a police officer. And I believe the officer lived, but he was, he perished. I don't that. feel bad. But yeah, he was, he was jailed for three years and I guess they couldn't just find, they couldn't find enough on him to um, take him to trial. And so he was like, like oh. forensically and because he yeah. wouldn't admit but you had two, two. Strap your seatbelt on because it gets worse. I can't. So Michael, I get motion sick. You know, know this, I Amber. Know. Come on, get some drama, mean. Um. So Michael, Scott, and Robert Springsteen. Why can't I say Springsteen? I don't know. Why? Why you have a real hard time with it tonight. String, 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 string. So Michael, Scott, and Robert Springsteen went to trial. In Travis County for this for this their confessions. Uh huh. So the jury felt that there was sufficient evidence, and they were both found guilty of capital murder. Sure. Robert Springsteen was sentenced to death. Michael Scott was found guilty of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison. Now I did find an, a little info on this. There's some conflicting information because originally it states that they were both 17 at the time, but then it was also indicated. And I believe this one to be maybe a little more true, but one was only 15 at the time. And oh, that's fuck. that was the difference between the, the capital penalty. punishment and the non. Yep. Okay, because I was going to ask. Because Michael why does was, one have to die and the other right. one gets life? So I do believe that that's probably the more accurate because they were, they were both, you know, confessing to these crimes. Yeah. And so I believe one was a little bit younger than what I had originally found. Okay. They were sentenced, they were put in prison. Seems like a cut and dry case, right? Well, it is not. Not based on your Unfortunately, face. Unfortunately, it is not. So in 2007, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals overturned Springsteen and Scott's convictions, ruling that their confessions were used improperly in their trials. What? What? Let that just sink deeply into your, your soul. So on a legal technicality, even though they are fully confessing to these crimes. You are correct. It's overturned, not even like a retrial for resentencing. It's just full on overturned. I will I will give you some tidbits now. The states I don't know if I can handle your bits. <laughs> 
you're not going to like my bits. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. So the state's case had rested primarily on Scott's confession and statements to the police. So right. everything was based on his confession. That was the foundation. Sure. The argument that was his statements were a product of overbearing police work. Scott points out that during his interrogation, his story was constantly evolving with increased pressure to please his interrogators. Mm. He had inconsistencies in his story also, first saying that the girls were clothed, then partially naked, and then eventually saying they were completely naked. So this is like making a murderer. A little bit. But I don't know. This is going to, I just didn't, I don't have anything to say after I'm done. I have no opinion. (laughs) I really don't. I like how you're like, I've got nothing. I got nothing after this. He changed his story as to what the girls' hands were tied with several times. Okay. Before eventually ending up with that he'd use their bra and underwear like it had actually happened. Okay. Because that's how they were found. But right. that's but, not how he But did the police give him that information for him to rest on that? I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. A little bit of that. I don't mean to jump ahead. No, no. It's, fu- it's, it's a natural thing to do in this case. <laughs> So Scott also had apparently suggested a variety of ways the girls were murdered uh, before ending on that they were shot in the head. Okay. There was also evidence that the interrogation was tainted when one of the officers suggested critical facts during the interrogation. Um, One of the quotes that was... no better. Yeah. One of the quotes that was that I found was one of the officers asking Scott, so one of the girls was shot twice in the head, right? Oh, my God. And Scott did not provide that originally. Right, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Jesus. The jury originally saw that the 18 hours of, of recording that Scott had, you know, the interviews that mm-hmm. he had done. And they, despite the inconsistency, felt like there was enough. I mean, he mm-hmm. still knew significant details about the door and, yeah. you know, all of these things. Yeah, he was still there, so clearly. So even though, like, some of those details about the ties, about the murders, you know, those things kind of changed, he still, most he of that story was laid with out. how he how they got in and what yes. they were after. and So the jury still found him guilty beyond, yeah. you know, reasonable right. doubt. And they, also, I would, I don't, uh, details about, like, what, did you use to tie up these girls? There's four different girls. They used different things. Yep. I wouldn't. You're also talking 20 minutes, if that's accurate. In and out, it happened fast. Yeah, yes. I just don't know that I would remember all of those specifics either. Like, oh, which one did I, you know, was it a bra? Or, and there's three of them in there working. I don't know. I just, those minute, de- those details, I don't know that you would accurately remember. Right. I, I agree because, but like you said, like the information about the door and other things that were the, consistent, the keys and from what I read, I gather that a bulk of the information was accurate. Mm-hmm. There were some, there were just some minute, some inconsistencies. Inconsistencies. I don't even mean to say minute because every detail is important in an investigation. But yeah, there were there were some inconsistencies, but the providing information to the yeah, most of it was they, accurate. Yeah, that's I think. not okay. Um, so Scott also had argued later that the submission of his video confession had violated his Miranda rights because they were not actually ever read to him. Oh, God. Um, he also con- contested that his rights were violated when his unrecorded oral statements were submitted without his rights being read to him. So in summary, the 
ultimate deciding factor that freed these men was that their confessions were used at each other's trials and that violated the confrontational clause because the co-defendant was non-testifying. Okay, yeah. So both convictions... Can't use the other guy's confession yes. in his trial during the other person's trial. Yeah, so that's ultimately what the deciding factor was and both convi- convictions were overturned by the holy by crap. that clause alone. Right. So even cuz they didn't have them testify, they didn't have each other testify at each other's trials. Right. But they but, but they, they used, used their confessions. The confessions. So even though these <laughs> men were not declared innocent, they were released from prison in 2009. During the trial, there was actually witness testimony that talked about the guns that were used. So a person named Johnny Holder testified that in November of 1991, when he was 13 years old, which blows my mind, um, he agreed to sell a 22 caliber revolver to Pierce for $100. Oh, my God. So Holder delivered the pistol, but Pierce did not pay, which sounds about right for what we know about right? him. <laughs> so on the night of December 6th of 1991, Holder saw Scott and Springsteen at the North Cross Mall. He told them to tell Pierce he wanted his money. Holder identified the twenty-two pistol Pierce had in his possession when he was arrested on December 14th of 1991 as the weapon that he had sold. Wow. How was this man not facing any charges? I, I can't Also, I even. wonder if he's part of the tip, the Pierce tip. That's, oh, like, oh, you why know. they got... That could be. Um, you know, arrested initially for having guns at the mall. That could he's like, be. He's got my gun, damn it, that he hasn't paid me for. Always pay your debts before you go and commit crimes. For sure. Otherwise, you got so people. That's poor business. You're gonna, it really is. Yeah, you're going to piss somebody off, and I think that's what, what he clearly did. Wow. So, and that was the gun that was used in the, in the murder. Yeah. You know it, what I'm saying? Yes, like, I do. Just and just another piece the, oh, pointing wow, toward Amber. them. Yep. In this crime. The prosecution insisted that these men would be retried. However, another curveball in this case. So new forensic investigation of DNA as things advanced over the years mm-hmm. um, found some of the DNA in one of the victims didn't belong to any of the four men. That were originally accused. Okay, but she's a teenage girl. Was she sexually active with her boyfriend? That was my thought as well. Um, in in the articles that I read, they didn't actually go there as to bring that up. But So there was this mystery DNA that they had found in this case. Because of that, the Texas courts later decided that because this DNA didn't belong to any of the men, the plans for retrial were abandoned. Oh, my God. So it never happened. No one has some common sense. Do you know what victim it was? Was it the 13-year-old or the 17-year-old? You know, I, I wish that I could have found that information, but I didn't. Okay. Um, the article because, said one of the victims, and okay. they didn't mention a na- the name. But I wonder, too. A lot of like, the- I'm sorry. We can't use common sense and think that these are teenage girls. And and I'd like to say, aside from the 13-year-old, they're probably not sexually active. But Jesus, 13-year-olds are as well. That You know, yeah. I mean, it's a sad reality. Yeah. And, so, and that's really? I, I had thought that, too, because, I mean, we have two 17-year-olds. Yes. And, you know, they, they a 17, Two 17-year-olds, a 15-year-old, right, and a 13-year-old. So, regardless of 
who it belonged to. I think they were hoping to find that person just to, in hopes that they'd find more information. Like, who was the person? Right. Are like, they I hope, I hope they don't freaking try this person and be like, well, just, here you just, as a 17-year-old, got laid, and now we're going to pin the murder of four girls and, right, you know, an arson on you and th- stealing when these four men. Even though we had two full confessions right. detailed. And I'm sorry, but it's obvious that it is more than one person. Oh, for sure. Carrying this out. Like, I mean, I don't think that there's enough here for me to question that it was someone else. I really don't. No. I mean, yes, maybe the investigation was coaxed a little bit. Maybe they... Um, right. They know, obviously did not follow protocol. They didn't protocol. do an outstanding job. Right. They, they didn't follow protocol, but the facts still remain the same, no matter... I don't know. I have a hard time with this one. With two people confessing. Yeah. And their story being similar enough eight years later to be convincing to a jury. Even with the inconsistencies, the jury was still like, okay, we still have enough. We believe you did this. Well, and at the same time, I'll I'll play devil's advocate and say with Todd Willingham, the jury thought that too, based on the expert testimony that they were going off of and the junk science and whatnot. But that's not what we have here we We literally have two separate people being like yeah this is how this went down tell me about the driver though you said that he was not charged anything like that but did he just confirm like this was what our plan was for the night you know I don't know that he uh I I didn't actually find any info on him charges against him because of there was the information from the confession like he he wasn't even in the parking lot to drive us away because he yeah. Got the hell out he of there. He didn't even like take Do us his job. So <laughs> right. He was never indicted. I don't know how much questioning was done right. after they couldn't really find much on him, but I didn't actually I mean, find sure any they statements from him. him. But, okay. Yeah, I'm sure they questioned him. But one of the interrogators from this investigation named Hector Polanco had been accused of, of coercing false confessions from another notorious case of uh, Christopher Ochoa and Richard Dan- Danziger. Hmm. I don't know that I don't case, know that case. but mm-hmm. apparently it was another one that was there. They were coaxed that into out there, yeah, mustering up, yeah. And apparently these two served like thirteen years in prison for something they didn't do, and they oh, were fuck. coaxed into a confession that was okay. Not. So that's all the, right. Yeah. You know, so this person. So that's another okay. piece of like. Obviously, there was some kind of heavy persuasion going on or heavy you know yeah and i mean and that is a real thing i don't want to negate that certainly but i don't i was watching a documentary on another case and um somebody had stated in there you don't think somebody would confess to something they didn't do but it happens more than you would ever know yeah so there is that piece i you know i don't Mm -hmm. know but it is a little there's a little too much there for me to think that these were just just yeah i yeah i did it i you know, yeah. I was pressured into saying for it. I have all them. these details. Well, and for both of them to, for, to have their details be so similar in their confessions. Right. That is a red flag for me that shit, they prop, they did it, you know. And, you know, the stories, they do match up with the original. They align with what the original story what was. they were really thinking However, happened. However, you know, I guess the question would be, were they coaxed into saying that and the right. police built their own picture of that and the two of them were just like yeah that's what happened yeah she was shot twice you know who knows but this yeah. one's hard for me to believe it was an innocent that they uh, were that they had the wrong person yeah so pierce is dead though he was the he's like dead. mastermind yeah. he's dead but the other three are alive they are still alive and out of 
prison. Haven't reoffended that we know? I don't know that they have. So seven of the jurors actually stated that if they would have had the information regarding the confessions and the flaws in the interrogation, that they would not have found the men guilty, which is interesting. That is. Um, Because that, you know, originally it was like, okay, they had seen everything. They saw the videos. Mm -hmm. They, you know. Well, that's just it. They watched the videos. So it's interesting that they feel if they had known someone else was saying, watch this video because the confession looks coerced. Right. Then they would They would have changed their mind. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. So if that hadn't been pointed out to them that it was, you know, a bad investigation. Right. Because you can watch the videos of the, on the Making a Murderer documentary on uh, Netflix there, and it's pretty obvious even if you don't have a background in law enforcement or investigative techniques or anything like that, it's super obvious what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So to me, that wasn't that obvious to the jury if they, weren't, if they watched those confession videos and didn't pull that out. Good point. So to me, this is just a lawyer watching it and then going and filing appeals saying, pulling at, you know, certain information and saying that. Hmm. So unfortunately, the only strong lead in this case still is that mystery DNA, that person that... That could possibly be just an old 17-year-old boyfriend. Maybe they've... God, I would like to think that they would have questioned Mm -hmm. whoever these girls were talking to, but you know... But I also get the not impression all teenagers are open with their parents, especially not in 1991, about right. who they're I canoodling think, with. I think that the other interesting part to this is that they didn't find any of the the four of the men's DNA in the victims, okay. and they did claim to rape them. So okay, but I mean, there is that. So or had it been destroyed? Or yeah, and it's well, another the one. Dude bit. said he couldn't perform. Right. So that that makes sense to me that they wouldn't have any there, but and the hmm. other one, I don't know if I mentioned this, but there was part of a report that I found that said that he didn't think he ejaculated. Oh, so yep, you did not mention that. I, I apologize if I missed that. Well, part. it did happen so quickly. Right. So, you know, and your friends are watching. And if this wasn't pre-planned, you've never done anything like this before. Right. I'd have some stage fright too. So it's like there's all these components of, is that mm. why the DNA wasn't Correct. there? Their right. DNA wasn't present. Yeah. Did they lie? Were they telling the truth? I mean. Well, because Springsteen, if he's being forced, just like Scott was, um, by Pierce, then it's possible he totally just faked it. Absolutely. You know, probably the first time ever a man has faked an orgasm. But. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Because did Scott, did they say that Pierce raped the girls as well? He was not, I don't believe he was linked to any of the rapes. It was just he shot the forcing one. them. Yes. He wanted, he supposed, you know, allegedly wanted the other two to rape. And he's just voyeurisming it on the he, sidelines. Yeah. As I mentioned, no match has ever been found to that DNA. The investigators did try to find um, connections to that. They went through classmates of the girls, um, you know, soda cans and, um, you know, cigarette butts, yearbooks, like all those things to try to retract DNA Mm -hmm. and find a match. But there was no luck. Okay. So there's still no leads. Okay. So maybe they really were working the angle of perhaps this was belonged to somebody that a girl was seeing. Possibly. Yeah. I think that was a possibility, too, of like maybe they just know something. Um, Yeah. Okay. Good. That makes me feel better. 
in 2017, they thought they had a break in the case with the new DNA research. They thought they could use the mystery DNA and link. Um, there was a new profile called, I don't know how to say this, Weister. Okay. Y-S-T-R. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a searchable database and it matches DNA. So they thought they could possibly link that DNA to the person's relatives some way. Oh, right. But they ran into trouble with the FBI. It sounds like there was a big runaround, and so they haven't really found anything um, yet. There's there's still no answers with, with using that database. And that was from 2017? Correct. So the case still <sighs> is cold to this day. The article was confusing, but it sounds like that. It was basically like a pissing match with the FBI to get anywhere. That's so I don't know that it, it wasn't. sounded like. Okay. Yeah. It, I don't know that it wasn't like possible. It's just that it, like to get the info from the FBI and it's just, it sounded like there there was a lot of barriers for mm. them to get anywhere. Red tape that they have to yep. go through. Yep. Oh my gosh. So this was essentially unsolved, then solved, and then back and to then unsolved. unsolved. And that just breaks my heart for these families because oh, they went too. from justice being served, they had the killers, they were convicted, to that being taken away from them. How absolutely horrifying. Isn't it? And you know, it's one thing if it's just legitimate, because sometimes this does happen, and I was just reading about a case that I think I'd like to um, cover, and I might reach out to the family, actually. But... They have someone in prison for a crime that the victim's family does not believe the police got the right person. Oh, wow. And they go and visit him in prison. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That would be, be a good because one. Because they're that convinced that the police got the wrong person. So, you it know. Happens. It, mean, does. it does. And, happen. and that was, that's, you know, my point is just that it's one thing if it's legitimate, but this the details of this, I'm really struggling with that they didn't have the right people to get go from I the get go. That is what I struggle with too. I mean, it was a pretty solid confession, and they had Pierce for three years. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And never any charge. That is crazy. And I don't know if there was other things too because he was right, right, like right, he right. Was all he sorts was of trouble. definitely a garbage fire. Yeah, he was completely a dumpster on fire. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, so I want to close with a quote. Um, this is from one of the articles I found. And this was a, a former reporter that covered the case. His name is Dick Ellis. He said, I knew there was more to the story than the pictures of the crime scene. It was the little things that told me the stories of who these girls were. One of them collected miniature cats and horses. Another had dozens of pictures of her best friends. Another was a track star at school. All were involved in the Future Farmers of America, where oh. they met and became friends. Yeah, they were good I girls. Love FFA. Yes. There was a lot of home video of the girls palling around together at FFA events as they showed their farm animals that they had raised. Ellis has kept contact with the families over the years. And recently in 2019, he had he had talked to several again. I wish they would have stated like the specifics, but they mm-hmm. didn't. And he said, although they have experienced ups and downs of justice being served and then taken away, none of them have given up hope that their children's killers will be found someday. Wow. So, you know. It's always amazing to me how people can hang on to hope like that. Like that's after, I mean, after being through such a terrible thing where it's like unsolved, then solved, then reversed. And And it's so hard for me to say like, oh, it's unsolved because there's the the tip line too, you know, and I find, find it at the bottom of the articles that says if you have any information on these crimes, Please contact the Austin Crime Stoppers at 512-472-TIPS. 
So it's like and they how, still you're still getting tips of hey, it was Scott. It was the two people you thought it Pierce was. And, right. That's where it's so hard for me because as I'm reading these things, it's like any tips call, and it's like I just feel like you you solved the case. And so here's and you can't be tried for the same case twice. So what are you going to do when if DNA does come back, you know, more advances in technology, whatever, and it's like, oh, fuck, we had the right people all along. Right. And this part, I, this just gets me. Um, one, of the, one of the reports that I had read, it, I don't know if the men tried to get compensation for their years that they'd served in prison, <laughs> but the courts had said that they wouldn't um, compensate them for the year served because they couldn't prove their innocence. That they were innocent. Oh, my God. It's like we don't believe you didn't do it, but you got us on this technicality with the trial. So you're free. You're not getting any money because we're not convinced you didn't do this. Best wishes to you. I, you have made me feel icky all over. I know. I feel like like a creep after presenting this case. And I'm saying that after the last few cases I've brought to the table. Like, fuck you, Amber. (laughs) I'm not even mad. Like, I understand the way you right. feel tonight. It's oh a horrible ending. It is a horrible ending. Oh. It's one of those, it's like, it's it labeled as an unsolved case, but is it really unsolved? Right. Unsolved case? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. I purposely put four in there, by the way. Deserves four. Oh, my. Yeah, that's a doozy. This case sucks. I'm not going to lie. You know what, Devin? <laughs> I'm also just going to say F you too for suggesting it. I'm just kidding. She knows I love her, but. Well, I hadn't heard of the case, so I'm like, oh, they found the people. Oh, wait. Oh, Oh, okay. Pretty simple. They're convicted. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? I was not waiting. I was not ready for the ending and how this pans out. Oh, my gosh. No wonder why. See, she was actually going to do this case after we did the Shelly case, and she was like, I'm not ready because there's more. So that's when I was like, that's okay. I've got a couple of cases on standby, and now I get it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Do you... Well, now that everyone us. feels like crap. For sure. Thanks. Now that you've run us over with a Mack truck, do you want to try to bring I, our spirits back up? I am going to cleanse you. <laughs> For If this is somebody's first time listening to us, they're going to be like, what the fuck what type of podcast is about? this? She's going to cleanse her now? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of witchery are they doing on this show? So this, I feel like we're going to have to post the picture that goes with this article because it's We do always post them gold. for our Patreons in our private. Pa- yes. If you become a Patreon, you get added to we're our private group and you get, get everything and more. Check out crimecuriouspatreon.com because you get bonus episodes, outtake episodes, brain bath only episodes. Mm-hmm. So this, this article is titled, Venice Burglar Accidentally Takes Selfie with a Victim's iPhone. Oh, shit. Now I'm gonna show you the picture because it's fuck. That's it's me. Just so good. It looks like he's like oh, <laughs> like no. <laughs> Literally looks like he's Inflamed like oh my god. Nostrils, mouth hanging open like a woman putting on mascara. Totally that surprised. Is what's happening? Or he had no idea that he had taken. No, it. no. But doesn't he look like he's putting on some mascara? Oh, he does. He's getting you ready. Know, he does. He's got, he's got, got the O like, face. The O face. Uh-huh. Yes. Los Angeles police are asking for the public's help to identify a suspect who burglarized a home in Venice and accidentally took a selfie with the victim's iPhone. The suspect entered a residence on Paloma Avenue near Speedway around 7 a.m. on July 11th through an unlocked 
Through an unlocked door, police said. While inside the living room of the residence, the suspect grabbed the victim's phone and accidentally activated a video application. This is something I would do. Oh, yeah. Um, and then accidentally took a selfie. The suspect took the iPhone and fled the scene. A woman and two 15-year-old old girls were inside the home at the time of the burglary. The suspect was described as a black male. In the selfie, he's seen wearing a dark hat. The inv- investigation is ongoing. Anyway, anyone with information about the suspect is asked to contact the LAPD. So must be her videos and photos back up to the cloud. And that's how she was able oh, to access it without the phone. The fo- yes. <laughs> I bet somebody else had a, another iPhone and it popped yeah. up. And they were like, oh, I guess we should send this in. What's happening? This is why I would never commit a burglary because this... Is what would happen? Absolutely, to me except it'd be a straight shot up your nose, and you'd have some double serious bugs. Ch- double chin, like <laughs> cross eye. Oh yeah, I, it would it would be horrible. Cross eyed? <laughs> Do you just walk around cross eyed? I never noticed. No, but it would capture somehow, that like moment. my eye delayed and right. Yeah. <laughs> wow, so that's it. That, well, I, thank you for that. I appreciate you, it. You if, are not welcome for that case. No, <laughs> no. And it was it was it was a hard one. I will say too that I lost my train of thought, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell people to follow us on social media. Yes, we're please. on all of them, even the Twiddler, the, t- <laughs> the old Twiddler, the old Twiddler, and keep it curious. Keep listening. Email us case suggestions or message us on Facebook to crimecurious at yahoo.com or your funny stories like we mentioned in the beginning. We can use them as brain baths. But all right. Until next time, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.